Well, hello, Faithbridge, uh, and thank you so much for joining us on this very cold Ash Wednesday. I hope you're all staying safe and staying very warm. Uh, my name is Adam McIntyre, and I am on the teaching team here at Faithbridge, and I'm so honored to be here uh, with you all talking about Ash Wednesday and the, uh, what Ash Wednesday is all about and how important um, this day is. And I'm going to give you a bit of a warning that might seem obvious, uh, but today I'm going to be talking a lot about death. And it's funny, I think this is my fourth time to preach Ash Wednesday here at Faithbridge, and I've talked about death every single time, but this is my first time ever giving this warning. And I think it's because I now have two small children, and one of my girls, the oldest, Juliet, she is turning four here in just a few days, and so now she's starting to uh, think about this idea of death. She's starting to try to understand the concept of death, and I blame that on the movie The Lion King. And so spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Lion King, even though it came out 27 years ago, uh, The Lion King is um, about 20 to 30 minutes into the movie. Uh, Mufasa, who is the Lion King, he dies. He's actually murdered by Scar, his evil brother. He's kind of thrown into this stampeding herd of buffalo. And then his son, Simba, who is just a little cub, Simba finds his father lying on the ground, not moving, and Simba is confused. He's not, he doesn't understand what's going on, and so he keeps saying things like, Dad, wake up. You know, Dad, get up. And Mufasa does not get up for obvious reasons, and the whole sad scene just gets even sadder when Simba decides to just curl up next to his dad and just lay there with him because he didn't want to leave his dad, even though his dad wasn't really there anymore. And I mean, just talking about that scene, really, does anybody else feel that, uh, like that raw pit in your stomach, like, like you have that, like a knot in your gut? It's uh, like, we aren't even watching the scene, we're just remembering, we're just thinking about it. Uh, but it's still, like, you just, it's, it's a painful scene to think about. And it's from a G-rated animated kids movie, but still we have this visceral reaction when we just even think about that scene because we know it's wrong. We know that what happened uh, was tragic, and we know instinctive, instinctively that this sort of thing should not be happening. And I think that's because death is our enemy. I think it's because we know that death should not be a part of this world, but it is. And the even more terrifying reality is that death is coming for all of us. None of us are going to get out of this alive. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've accomplished, death is coming for all of us. Like, if you were to compare me right now to Jeff Bezos, uh, you would find that we don't have much in common. I mean, Jeff Bezos makes uh, more money in two minutes than I do in a whole year. That's actually true and sad. Um, but, uh, I mean, Jeff has made more money uh, that he could spend in 100 lifetimes. But Jeff only has one lifetime, just like me. And uh, that's the one thing that we have in common. That's what all of us have in common. No matter what I do, no matter what Jeff Bezos does, no matter what anybody does, death is coming for all of us. In fact, Scripture is crystal clear on this truth. Throughout the Bible, we are called dust, ash, mist, finite, gone within a moment. And that reality is so devastating that I think a lot of us spend an inordinate amount of time and energy trying to avoid that truth, trying to deny and ignore the reality of death. 
when I first introduced Juliet to the Lion King, I would intentionally fast forward through Mufasa's death scene every time we watched it. I just felt like the concept of death would be too overwhelming uh, for, for her and that she wouldn't be able to understand what was going on. I mean, she still doesn't understand why she can't go outside without pants on. And so, like, how in the world could she possibly comprehend death, like, understand the concept of death? And, and to be honest, I wasn't prepared to talk with her about it, so I would just fast forward through the scene. Then one morning, uh, she and I woke up together and she asked to watch The Lion King, so I put it on for her, but then I got distracted. I got on my phone, I think I was looking up stuff about Houston sports and, and fuming and crying, and, um, but for the first time ever, uh, Juliet watched Mufasa die. And my stomach dropped as I realized my mistake. I looked over at Juliet and her face, she just had this look of bewilderment, like she didn't understand what was going on, just like Simba. And, and, and so then she turns to me and she asks, well, what happened to Simba's dad? And you know, uh, parents, whenever you encounter a situation and you think, this is an important moment right now. Like, this is a test of my parenting skills, and, uh, you know, this could affect my child's development. This could affect how they view the world. I really need to nail this moment. That's what this felt like to me. So I, I turned to Juliet, and I said to her, I said, well, sweetheart, I don't know what happened to Simba's dad. You know, like a liar. And so, uh, but that wasn't a good enough answer for, for Juliet. In fact, she just became overly persistent. Uh, she kept asking, you know, what happened to him? Why is Simba crying? Why isn't Simba's dad getting up? Why isn't he talking? So then I thought, all right, Adam, you can't keep dodging these kind of questions. You can't dodge this topic. You need to say something to fix this. So I, I squatted down to get on to Juliet's level and uh, get eye to eye with her. And I grabbed her little hands and I said, Juliet, sweetheart, I bet your mom knows what happened to Simba's dad. And I just, I just passed her along to Kathleen, who, let's be honest, uh, was probably more equipped to answer those kind of questions. Uh, but all joking aside, I think that this is what we do, a lot of us do, when it comes to the reality of death. We want to fast forward past it. We want to ignore it. We want to pretend like death isn't coming for all of us. And the irony is, the more that we ignore the reality of death, the more control we give it in our lives, the more we are controlled by the fear of death. There is this popular TV show called Hoarders, um, and I've only been able to watch one episode because, honestly, I think the show is just devastating to watch. But in the one episode I watched, there was a, he was an older gentleman who, in the interviews, he seemed like a, a normal enough guy, a nice guy, and then you saw his house, and his house was just full of mountains of trash. And like you couldn't get through the house without, there was no path to take. You had to literally crawl over trash to get from room to room. And when I say mountains, I mean there were some like little, like floor to ceiling piles of trash. And also when I say trash, I don't mean like knickknacks or, or trinkets or things like that. I mean he had empty Gatorade bottles and Amazon boxes and junk mail. Like it was all actual trash. And he, honestly, he thought it was all valuable and, and important, and he could not bring himself to see that he had formed an emotional connection to literal trash. And that emotional connection, it was controlling his life. In fact, it was, it was destroying his life. And I remember watching that episode and feeling just so bad for the guy and wishing that he could just see the truth, 
that he could see that you're surrounded by trash. And if you clean it all out, your house will be livable again. You'll, you'll be free. If you could just see the truth, you'd be free. And that's because there's freedom when we acknowledge the truth. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is going to be calling us to do here in Mark 1.15. Mark 1, verse 15, which is the verse that is at the heart of Ash Wednesday. Mark 1.15. To give you a bit of backstory, Jesus had just finished his 40 days uh, in the desert where he was uh, fasting and praying and he was tempted by the devil. And now this is the beginning of his public ministry. This is, this is the beginning of a movement, really. This is him calling people to follow him. So Mark 1.15, Jesus says this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the heart of Ash Wednesday. So, what is it that we are repenting of? Well, we are repenting of closing our eyes to the truth. We cannot live like the hoarder who is surrounded by trash and thinking everything is fine, right? No, repentance is about humbling ourselves to see the truth that we are nothing but ash. And any efforts we make to, to make ourselves more significant, to try to create something that is lasting, it's all gonna turn to ash, it's all going to turn to dust. It's, it's meaningless. It's striving after the wind. Really, it's idolatry. And then we must humble ourselves to see the truth that death is a consequence of our sin. In fact, the first time man is called dust uh, in the Bible, it's in Genesis 3, and it was right after uh, Adam and Eve sinned. And God said, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It was the sins of mankind that introduced death into the world. Death wasn't a part of the original plan. Death isn't supposed to be here. But because of our sin, death is here. And so repentance is the acknowledgement that we are nothing but ash, and it's a result of our sin. And so to use the hoarder analogy, to deny the reality of death is to deny that you are living in a house full of trash. And then to deny the reality of our sin is to deny the fact that you are the one that filled that house full of trash in the first place. But... Uh, when we do repent, something beautiful happens. We realize that the reality of death and that the reality of sin, those are not the only truths. There is another truth. There is the gospel truth that reminds us that death is not the end. Death does not get the final say. And that gospel truth, I believe, is perfectly summed up in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Let's read it together. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he took on flesh and blood. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the gospel truth is that the creator of the universe finds you so infinitely valuable, even though you are nothing but dust and ash, that he would send his one and only son to rescue you. Jesus took on flesh and he faced the enemies that we had no chance of defeating on our own, enemies that ultimately murdered him on the cross. But then by his death, he defeated the one who had the power of death, which was the devil, and now he has delivered all those who were subject to lifelong slavery by the fear of death. We have been set free. That is the gospel truth that should shape and carry our lives. In Jesus, we were offered resurrection. We were offered life. We were offered freedom and hope. That is what we need to be focusing on. That is the truth. But we must repent and we must humble ourselves in order to 
receive that truth. Because the resurrection is not going to mean much to people who deny the reality of death. Forgiveness doesn't mean much to people who deny the reality of their own sin. Which is why today we remind ourselves that we are nothing more than dust and ash. So that we can feel the full weight of the gospel and we can give all glory and honor and praise to our King Jesus. So when you receive your ashes on your forehead, uh, which probably symbolically today, um, you do not pretend to be anything other than the flawed, frail, fragile human being that you really are. And you repent and you turn back on the illusion that you are in control of anything and that you, can, can, that you can create anything that is lasting on your own without God. And then going forward into this Lent season, there are three different practices that we are asking and we are encouraging you to focus on over the next uh, 40 days, which are designed to place your focus on Jesus. So the first practice is prayer. Uh, we believe that prayer is the key to having a healthy and thriving relationship with God. And we also believe that prayer is powerful. We believe that prayer has a, a tangible effect on the world around us, on the people around us. And I know that for some people, uh, prayer can be intimidating. So we have created a helpful tool called Journey Through John that will offer, that will give you a daily scripture to read and daily prayer points uh, to pray through. This is a, a tool that we've created for you. And then the second practice is fasting. Fasting can be one of the most powerful ways that we can uh, connect with God. It reminds us of our weaknesses. It reminds us of our vulnerability and that we need to be reliant on God. And so in this season of Lent, in which we are trying to take the focus off of ourselves and we're trying to place our focus on Jesus and on his cross and on his resurrection, fasting is one of the most helpful ways to do that. And then the third practice is serving. So in Matthew 25, 40, Jesus tells his disciples, truly I tell you, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. And so we want to be a church that serves others so that we serve Jesus. And so uh, we are actually, we've created a, a campaign called Share Hope that you're going to learn more about uh, this Sunday. But as a part of that Share Hope campaign, we have created numerous serving opportunities that are easy on-ramps for you to begin serving others. Uh, so things ranging from food share to medical debt relief. And these are just opportunities, easy opportunities for you to share the hope of Jesus with others in this community. And uh, my, ultimately, my hope and my prayer for all of us this Lent season is that truly that we face the truth that we are nothing but ash, that we are nothing but dust, and that all the things that we focus our attention on apart from God, those things are going to turn to ash as well. And instead, I want us to, to let's give our focus, let's give our lives to the one who can breathe life into a pile of ash. Pray with me. Father, again, I'm, I'm just so thankful today. Um, that's, that's what I'm feeling most right now. I was just thankful uh, and I'm humbled um, just to know um, that we have this enemy out there, death, and it's just so terrifying. In fact, it's so terrifying that many of us, we try to ignore it. We try to pretend like it's not coming for all of us, but it is, and it's, uh, it's overwhelming. But because of your love, because you find us infinitely valuable, you sent your son, Jesus, to come here to defeat death, to defeat Satan, to conquer our sin so that death does not get the final say, so that we can live a life of hope, knowing that we are resurrection people because of you and your love. Father, but I also pray that today is a sobering day for all of us, 
a day where we truly do take this opportunity to humble ourselves and to repent um, of thinking that we can create anything lasting on our own, that we can make ourselves into something uh, just significant on our own. Uh, today is a day to remember that we are just ash, uh, that in 400 years, 500 years, uh, we will be in the ground. And, but because of you and because of your love, that is not the end. And so I'm thankful that there is also hope today, uh, that death does not have the final say. And so, Father, I just pray that today is a day of repentance um, and uh, a day of, of just recognizing our own mortality, but also a day uh, of hope, of, of focusing on you, of, of uh, giving you all glory and honor and praise. Um, Father, we love you and we're thankful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.